Hello, and welcome to Public Intellectual. If you are enjoying our show and would like to express that in the way we express value under capitalism with money, you can support us at patreon.com slash public intellectual. And just a note, we're taking two weeks off for the holiday, so we'll return in early December. When my first book, The Dead Ladies Project, came out, it got some negative reviews, some good reviews, and a lot of general disinterest. But there was one crazy, hateful review. I say crazy not because someone has to be crazy to hate my work. I say crazy because the reviewer just made a bunch of stuff up that wasn't even in the book, misrepresenting what I wrote in order to bolster her argument that the book was a piece of shit. And I remember exactly where I was when I was reading the review, because I got this kind of hyper self-awareness of my body and my brain, not from the trauma of it all, but because I was thinking, oh, is this, is this going to destroy me? Am I destroyed? Am I going to fall into some kind of fit or die from the shame of it? Or what is going on with me? Then I realized, no, I'm not really responding at all because this has nothing to do with me. This review is about her. She hates my book, and maybe me a little, and that's fine. I have hated books. I have hated so many books and so many writers. And it's often very little to do with the book itself and more to do with us, especially when we make it public. This is a version of reality or a person or an idea that I'm trying to distance myself from. And that can be important writing too. So I shrugged and moved on with my life. But I still think that hating books is good and the total carpet bombing of a book in a review, as long as you are not actually just making a bunch of shit up, is not just pleasurable to write and to read, but kind of good for the world sometimes. I spoke with book critic B.D. McClay to discuss the books we hate and the good that hate does for the book world. I wanted to talk to you about hating books because uh, you were on Twitter <laughs> hating on uh, on Stoner, a book that I that I also hate as well. And it's actually um, not a popular it's not a popular book to hate. Um, yeah. There are definitely books that are considered to be either classics or you know uh, important with contemporary writers that you can get away with saying this is, this is a bunch of bullshit. Um, but this one is not. So I wanted to, um, ask you to kind of, you know, recreate your, um, your hatred of stoner. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, there are a lot of things that I hate about stoner, which I guess I should maybe briefly summarize for, uh, for the, the people who haven't had to read, seven articles about why it's the best book you've never heard of. Um, uh, Stoner is about a, a young man from a farm uh, in, is it in Indiana? Something like that. Some, some. Uh, Missouri. Uh, and uh, he goes 
to a university to get a farming degree and instead inexplicably falls in love with English and decides to dedicate his life to that. And um, unfortunately, he is hampered in the pursuit of English by deciding to force a young woman to marry him uh, and then deciding that she's like an evil neurotic bitch (laughs) Um, (laughs) who... uh, who sadly uh, like refuses to love him, and so he has to he has to rape her, uh, mm-hmm. and it's like a very unfair thing to do to him. Um, and also uh, departmental politics, because his departmental nemesis, who is um, crippled, I guess, uh, has a protege who is also crippled, and because of this, is like overinvested in his success and the guy doesn't know anything. So Stoner refuses to, uh, help him get his doctorate. And so anyway, these two things, uh, cons- these two people conspire to destroy his life and, uh, he never gets to write or really read and his daughter becomes an alcoholic and he has an affair with a beautiful graduate student. who's the only woman who really understands him, but, they ruined that too. So then he dies, but thinks, Oh, you know, it's true that no one will really miss me when I'm gone, but at least there was English. That's kind of how I would summarize it as a book. Um, and I, I hate it for a number of reasons. Um, for one thing, for a book that is basically driven by someone being in love with, um, English as a discipline, there's almost no substantive engagement with any book in it. Um, he has his big conversion moment hearing a Shakespeare sonnet, but the way it actually goes in the book is that uh, his kind of cranky professor mentor figure reads the sonnet out loud and then asks Stoner to expound on it. And Stoner is totally inarticulate and can't explain why it's having the effect on him that it's having. And this is, in fact, his relationship to English for his entire life, uh, is that he's kind of moved by it, but is unable to talk about it. Um, And, I mean, it's just strange if, if your book is a celebration of the life of the mind to some degree, then you want to see it in evidence. Mm -hmm. And as it is, it just feels like, it feels like the kind of literary equivalent of someone who's wearing a tweedy jacket and buys books by the shelf, uh, but doesn't open them, you know, or, or look into them or have real opinions about them. Um, right. The other thing, uh, the whole plot line with his wife is just bizarre. Uh, it's not even, I mean, it's strange because um, his entire pursuit of her, she is written as having no interest in him. None. Like, you know, he sees her at a party and he sits next to her and talks to her and she doesn't really engage with him. <laughs> and he just kind of keeps on showing up. And then he asks her to marry him and her parents kind of make her do it. Um, but somehow she's still the villain in this story. Uh, she's written as this 
I mean, she sounds like an unpleasant person, but it's also sort of like she's written as this kind of neurotic, controlling, evil woman who sort of deliberately makes their daughter an alcoholic. <laughs> um, yes. And <laughs> like, uh, as you do, <laughs> yeah, as you do. Uh, and I, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and also when she decides she wants to have a child, that's the one time in the book when she's interested in sex and it's written as utterly grotesque. Um, like she's this weird ravenous monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book is such a kind of, um, him to this man and his pure love of English and the world that ground, you know, against the world that ground him down and so on. That uh, the fact that I've never even seen somebody, you know, in, in all these articles about Stoner, no one ever addresses the fact that he rapes his wife, which isn't even, I mean, the book explicitly says that he does. <laughs> it's not, that's not even me putting it, like saying, oh, you know, in a real relationship. Mm-hmm this would probably be great. Like, uh, I think the word force is actually used. Um, and instead they just were like, yeah, she's kind of evil. Um, so those are, are two things. I reread it recently. And I guess the third thing is that there's a kind of bizarre and perverse fatalism in this book. Um, whenever stoner encounters something that would require thought or deep feeling, his only mode of relation appears to be exhaustion. Uh, so some kind of big moment will happen and he'll just be like, well, I can see that this will be a thing in my past, but for me, it's already over. This is how every single big thing in his life is dealt with. And um, I don't, it's just, nothing about this seems appealing or interesting. The the prose is kind of overwritten. Um, but I do think it's very flattering if you if you consider yourself a kind of tweety young man. Uh, it's like, yeah, nothing is your fault. You know, it's funny that um, I was tar- when I said I was going to do this podcast and I was talking with um, some people who like Stoner. Um, mm-hmm. None of the none of the men seem to understand that that scene was a rape either. Wow! And, and I don't know what that is. Like I don't know if it's a sort of willful blindness or if it's a kind of like, um, well, we're on the side of this guy, so it can possibly be a rape, or we we all sort of or coll- collectively supposed to hate the wife, and so we can't see somebody that we hate as being capable of being raped. I don't, I have no idea what it is. I've been trying to, and I've just had this very exasperated response because, um, yeah, because just several men were like, that wasn't a rape scene. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's like, I think the line is something like, she, she didn't, she, he sometimes had to force his love on her. I don't remember it because, because that's how, this book describes attraction or like sex. It's like yeah. his love swelled within him and he had to force his love on her. Um, but uh, the weird thing is there's actually something kind of similar in the other John Williams book I have read, Butcher's Crossing. Um, and it's been a while, but basically Butcher's Crossing is like a young man goes out West, encounters the wilderness, sees someone die 
and then like comes back to the frontier town he set off from. And uh, before he sets off, there's this kind of a hooker with a heart of gold character. And she's like, you know, you're young and strong and not gross and old like the rest of the men here. So let's just have sex, but for free. Like I'm doing this for fun. Oh, yeah. And, And she disrobes and he's so disgusted by the sight of her naked body that he runs from the room. Um, then he goes out into the wilderness, comes back, and just kind of uh, has sex with her and then pays her, even though he knows that will be really offensive, and then leaves. Um, and it's a kind of, I mean, it, I don't think in Butcher's Crossing it's rape, but it's a similar, like, it's only attractive when it's not being offered to you, which sure. I think is also true in Stoner, because when, when Edith, Edith being the wife, uh, does experience desire, it's disgusting. Um, but, yeah, it's very frustrating. I mean, I, I do think probably part of it is like, well, Edith is crazy and nasty uh and so like why would we feel bad for her seems to be kind of a a thing i mean i i suspect in people who can't see this as a like that that because she is so unpleasant and because in the book unpleasant people are just bad um then, like, whatever happens to her, she probably deserves, or, like, it doesn't outweigh the, um, the badness that she's inflicting on, on Stoner by being married to him, which is a thing that he forced her to do. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the problem, like, like, the marriage is truly nightmarish, but it's the fact that it's, it's completely self-inflicted, despite no indication of desire on her part, uh, makes it hard i guess i just don't know how to sympathize with him you know if if your wife has a nervous breakdown at your wedding because her parents forced her to do this i feel like that's you know maybe a sign that (laughs) this isn't going to go well (laughs) Um, it's just it's very it's strange um but, but I mean, the, the people who like Stoner, I mean, what was their case for it as a book? I don't know. Um, I guess sort of exploring the inner world of a frustrated writer. But it, I, all of sort of like post-war American literature is exploring the yeah. inner world of a of a frustrated writer. Um, I, I was going to say, like, it's not as if there aren't other options there. I, right. Yeah, because this is such an underrepresented category of literature. It's, it's um, really the, the sad English professor is like the the most neglected literary figure. Yeah, when time. when oh when will the frustrated literary professor finally have his say in our culture? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if I were going to be particularly spiteful and mean, I would say that it's not surprising to me that, you know, the the sort of um, campaign for this book to be 
canonized and to be read. That's because it, it really does come with this very sort of aggressive um, PR thing where, like you said, like everybody was writing these essays about this is the best book you've never heard of. Um, yeah. But to me, it's not surprising that it, that was happening sort of in the lead up to sort of now the uh, current culture that we live in where Mm -hmm. frustrated men who rape their wives (laughs) and grope people and, uh, you know, have a deep sense of entitlement until they're um, carrying tiki torches, Uh you know, uh, in mass. Um, I think, I think it's, I think it's related, you know, um, that's probably really mean spirited, but I've seen the shitty men in media list. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that there's a correlation. I think that probably a lot of them really like stoner <laughs> and also don't understand that that scene is a rape. Yeah, no, it's, that's actually very disturbing to me. I kind of had assumed that people knew it was a rape, but they were like, I'd rather talk about something else, which is sort of understandable. Uh, it hadn't occurred to me that someone just wouldn't view it that way. I'm sort of right. processing that. Um, uh, um, but I don't think that that's necessarily um, rare. Um, I mean, I kind of wanted to talk, you know, this is this is definitely a podcast that hates stoner. Um, mm-hmm. But we also hate a lot of books. Um, so, um, but I was <laughs> thinking about this when, um, you know, Bookslut ran a lot of negative reviews and we really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. And, but one of my favorites was one of the last, was in one of the last issues that we did um, where uh, our critic Austin Grossman wrote about uh, Herzog by Saul Bellow, uh-huh. kind of pointing out that a lot of it was about a man um, going to see the wife that left him with a gun in his pocket and that when he didn't kill her, that was sort of played for laughs. And the inability of critics, of readers, of anybody to deal with that being in the book. Like nobody tried to even reckon with it intellectually or emotionally. It was just sort of like um, either ignored or sort of treated as funny. Um, so I think that this is definitely um, a part of our literary culture of, um, of the last sort of 50, 60 years of um, men describing violence against women that um, men just refuse to, the, the male reader refuses to see for the most part. And the women too. I mean, women love stoner, which I don't understand. It's true. Uh... I think the only the only person I had seen before this who was on record as being a stoner hater was Adele Waldman. Uh, it was like yeah. some some list of books everybody else thinks is great that you don't like, uh, but um, and she was there and she said stoner. But um, yeah, I mean, I do remember a um, long time ago when I was like probably in high school. Uh, reading Dangerous Liaisons, uh, and there's a, a scene where a, a woman, like a, a man, obtains the key to her chambers by deceit, and mm-hmm. then shows up and says, you know, if you don't sleep with me, I'm just going to tell everybody that 
that you let me in and uh, and no one will believe you. Uh, but in the Wikipedia summary of the book, this is like, so-and-so seduces her. Right, um, yeah. No, it's in the and, movie too. And it's and people treat it like it's a seduction. I was like, John Malkovich yeah. is a rapist. I mean, not him, yeah. but you know, his character, whatever. It's it's very strange because in that case, the guy isn't even supposed to be a good guy. You know, I guess he gets kind of redeemed over the course of the book. But at that point, he's he's quite bad. So there isn't a reason not to see the violence there, except that it's like a kind of colorblindness some people have, I suppose, um, or a willful, a willed colorblindness. Um, but I just, and I, I think I or someone I knew went in and changed the Wikipedia article from seduction to rape, uh, and then it just got changed back. I think it still says seduces now. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, and sometimes I mean, uh, I feel like sometimes fiction written by very self-conscious misogynists, as in misogynists who know this about themselves, can sometimes be more perceptive and maybe make this more unavoidable. Um, I sort of felt that way about Revolutionary Road, uh, mm-hmm. where like the, the woman bleeds to death at the end. Uh, but it's not, I don't know because, because the guy writing it sort of knew that he hated women. The men in it were also quite pathetic, Mm -hmm. uh, in a, in a strange way, or I guess going back something like Tolstoy's the Kreutzer Sonata, which is incredibly misogynist. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's also, sort of about how the world is bad for women. It's like, if you think about this enough, even from a from the wrong angle, you'll kind of hit on things. And then if you decide to write a novel or whatever, it will be more inescapable. Whereas I guess in Stoner, uh, the book is written with such an idea that, that Stoner is a kind of victim of everything, uh, that it's impossible to imagine him hurting somebody um, right. because uh, because he's the he's the victim um, and even if some of these things or even all of them are actually kind of self-inflicted he's still the victim so right I mean this was on um, the TV show Mindhunter when they're talking about serial killers and <laughs> their inability to take responsibility <laughs> It's because they always position themselves as the victim of everything that's happened to them. And so it's not their fault. Um, I think I... I, Good twist. I would like it if if he became a serial killer, I think. God, somebody needs to rewrite it so that he was a serial killer the whole time. That's the only way that book makes sense, by the way. That is the only way that that book makes sense. So instead of like a stoner and zombies, like a stoner is a serial killer sort of retelling... Yes. Yeah. I feel like it's now my destiny to make somebody write that because I'm not going to write it because I don't want to live in that person's head. But maybe it's your yeah. job. <laughs> I, I'm i going to pass too. But if, if someone's out there and wants to make a very niche parody, I will experience <laughs> <Extremely your Patreon>. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, no, the, the thing that's kind of funny was, um, so you were tweeting about Stoner and uh, I was retweeting it. and But then I was getting these responses of like, um, why, why even bother? Why bother talking about Like, if you hate a book, why would you even talk about it? Just ignore it. Um, which is, uh, I think... Um, Hating is very, fun. Hating is fun, and I think it's useful. <laughs> I do think that hating and anger um, are actually incredibly useful feelings to have. I don't know if you agree or not, but I, that's what I think. I, I agree to a certain extent. I think um, sometimes, I guess I'd say, say with like um, uh, Hillary Clinton's most recent book, I sort of felt it was not worth it to negatively review it or anything like, like, it should just be ignored at this point. You know, like, there have been so many reviews of the many books published under her name. I don't know what anyone has to say about her anymore. So ignore it. Or, like, do a, a drunken, dramatic reading of it. But, like, uh, publish it, you know. So sometimes I think that, like, hate is justified, but ends up, like focusing too much cultural attention on something that already has that much attention. Also, people keep on reviewing like Ivanka Trump's books, and I don't understand it. <laughs> uh, oh, I was one of them. I'm sorry. Somebody asked me to oh, do no. it, and I was just it's drunk enough right. to do it. <laughs> somebody, somebody asked me to review um, Ben Sass's book about which I have very similar. Like, this is a book-shaped object and not a book feelings, but I reviewed it, so you know. We all do it sometimes and it is fun, but like that, I, I feel like there are things that where like the hate is fun or the hate is necessary, but then sometimes it's like the hate is necessary, but you have to like indulge it only privately for the greater good. Um, I could be wrong about this, uh, but I mostly feel this way about politicians books. In fact, almost exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, with the with the Hillary Clinton book, it was it was expected that there were going to be sort of eight eight million um, books or eight million reviews um, trashing it and trying to make a joke off of the same passage. Like, oh my my, but my joke about this passage out of the other eight million, it's the best one. Um, right. Um, and especially like we we all just lived through the the 2016 election and were subjected to much commentary then and then there was a very quick book that came out about it and there there were a lot of reviews then so it's just kind of like I don't know what anyone has to say like you said except except making jokes about the same thing that they made jokes about for like the last year and a half um but I also I mean it I knew that people were going to do it anyway. Sure. Um, I, I like published a small opinion piece advocating that people just like let it pass by silently. And uh, that I got more angry messages about that than basically anything else I've ever written. What was the, <laughs> um, what was their argument? Oh, it was just um, that I thought I, I feel that um, hmm. I find Clinton a dramatically interesting figure. Like I would love to read a novel about a Clinton-esque figure or watch a play or what have you. But mm -hmm. um, politically speaking, 
the cult of personality around her is like extremely unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether you love or hate this book, um, all the conversation isn't going to move beyond Clinton, good or bad. It's all going to be about her, which is not useful. Um, so like either find a way into the wider conversation from there or like try reading books that are actually pointing towards something else, you know, Mm -hmm. something engaging with something beyond like, is this figure perfect (laughs) or the devil? Um, and, uh, anyway, uh, but I, I opened it with the line, something like, you shouldn't feel the need to read this book. I won't. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of Hillary fans like uh, sent me many, many tweets informing me that you shouldn't review books that you haven't read, even though it wasn't a review. Right. Uh, <laughs> and also, like, yeah, basically I, I somehow activated like a large large but yeah I'm sure that like it was cathartic for many people to read it um it would I would not have enjoyed it <laughs> uh, no not even on a cathartic <laughs> level I would have just sort of yeah. felt so much gross anyway yeah but but anyway so I guess with this the single exception of politicians books I I think hatred is valuable but with politicians books I feel like it's just kind of indulging their vanity in some way mm-hmm. um so, so that's my one caveat. But otherwise, I mean, hatred is fun. Um, a really good, mean piece is is a joy to read. Um, and and then also, it makes writing positive pieces better too, because you're not just kind of straining to find something good or neutral to say. You're really kind of digging into what makes things that you think are worth praise worth praise. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, I actually wrote a very kind of similar piece, which I'd completely forgotten about until you until you talked about uh, your Clinton piece about how I wasn't going to read the Jonathan Franzen, which I guess it was freedom. I guess I wrote Purity? about. F- no, it's about freedom. Oh, okay. Um, like way way back when. Um, okay. And yeah, and I just announced I'm not going to read it. I don't need it in my brain. I know what it is. I know what he's going to do, and I just don't see the point in trying to um, join in on a cultural conversation that I think is bankrupt anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And I got a lot of hate for that for just saying that I wasn't open to reading this book um, that uh, was about to be a sensation. Um, and that's I think interesting that that hatred or anger that that can inspire of just saying, nope, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, no, it's, it's very weird because also, I mean, like how many people actually did read freedom or what happened anyway? Right. Like, I mean, a lot of people bought it, but, um, but yeah, something about saying like, actually, I already know that whatever's going to happen from here is not worth my time. It's like, I don't, I don't know why that's so offensive, but it certainly is, um, that it's like, oh, actually there's a, there's something more interesting over here. We don't need to have a monofocus on one big book. 
Um, although I do like, I have not read Freedom either and probably won't, but I do enjoy Ruth Franklin's um, big, massive, negative review of it. So, oh, right. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, there, what you said is true that there is a particular joy in reading the takedown. Yeah. But there's like a huge subsection of that that's just Jonathan Fra- Franzen takedowns. <laughs> that there's just so much gold in there. And the Ruth Franklin one is excellent. It's a very, it's a very good specimen. Thank you for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's a. Uh... Um, Model book review. Yeah. Um, I always thought that um, Jenny Diskey had a kind of special talent for the takedown as well. Um, Somebody had referenced her review of um, uh, Gilmore's misogyny that I think was in the Mm -hmm. London Review of Books. So I was revisiting it today. Um, And I think that's the kind of wonderful thing that that sort of... um, that Jenny Diskey does that can be done with a hate review. And even in Ruth Franklin's review of Jonathan Franzen, like it's not, you're hating an object, but you're also hating the entire culture that supports this object that supported the production of it and is now supporting the sale of it. Like it's not just about, I hate Jonathan Franzen. It's I hate everything that Jonathan Franzen represents and the culture, the, the book culture that worships him. Yeah, and um, one thing I also like about about Disky is that she, especially when she's reviewing um, biographies, uh, she can be very harsh on subjects while also sympathizing with them, which I think is another thing. Like, it's a related thing to being able to write a really good negative review. So I think um, in her... She has a, a review of a biography of Caroline Blackwood where she just kind of goes in on her, but in a very interesting way. So she's sort of, you know, that Caroline Blackwood just kind of never pulled herself together into like an interesting intellectual or artistic project, even though she was obviously quite talented. Um, and I, I think, I feel like especially especially with women writers, um, I either, it's hard to find pieces that do something like that because either you get something that's just celebratory and papers over flaws, um, or you get something that just is kind of mean spirited in a, in a bad way, uh, where it's like, Oh, this person was terrible. All of her books are terrible. There's nothing worth saying about it. Um, you know, she's just minor and doesn't deserve to be in print, that kind of thing. Uh, instead of being able to say, well, like Caroline Blackwood was immensely privileged and immensely beautiful and immensely talented. And this meant that she never quite had to make something of herself in an important way, even though her books are interesting. Uh, they're like not quite there. Um, and that kind of like, ability to, to draw that kind of fine judgment, which is pretty unsparing, uh, but true. I, don't, I guess I'm saying Disky had a real talent for saying true things about books and people uh, because that seemed to be her main interest. Um, 
and you, yeah, I think I'm losing my point, but. <laughs> no, um, I, you know, I think it's interesting what you said about um, writing about women writers, because there is this kind of backlash that can come um, if you are a woman critic and you negatively review another woman writer. Mm-hmm. Um and so you're supposed to, you know, like Jennifer Weiner will be mad at you on Twitter or whatever, but you're supposed to support the sisterhood above all things. Um, and you're not supposed to tear another woman writer down, even if that woman writer is writing absolute bullshit. And I, and I remember um, this sort of great Emily Keeler review of the Kate Zambrino book, Heroines, mm-hmm. um, which was a book oh, that I, I hate. That Hate it's it. terrible. <laughs> I hate that book and everything that it represents. I um, well, I should. I've only skimmed heroines because it it made me too angry. But uh, I could probably do yeah, a whole podcast about why I hate that too. Yeah, it's- I I hated it so much that I was reading it out loud in a sarcastic voice, like to <laughs> nobody else, just to myself. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah. Um, but but Emily Killer took so much shit for her review, even though I thought it was very fair-handed and sort of yeah. um, granted uh, some of the strengths of the book. Um, it was more generous than I would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but she took a lot of shit just for writing a negative review of it at all because uh, they were both women writers, and I find that very I find that sort of um, argument very suspicious of um you you can't hate or uh write a negative review of a of a woman because because of the sisterhood. Yeah. No, that's definitely and the the flip side is these books um like there's some book coming out that's supposed to be an anthology of witchy women but it's got like Emily Dickinson in it which it's like I don't know old-timey Puritan roots. It's not quite... I don't know, like, these these anthologies that are about women that kind of erase what make them individuals um, and often are kind of memoiristic. Uh, Spencer was like this, the Kate Bullock book. Uh, yes, yes. It, in which everyone was married. Right! <laughs> um, uh and, All of uh, her sample spinsters were married women. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm so yeah. glad you mentioned that. It's just so upsetting. <laughs> yeah, and so like, um, then it's kind of like I'm going to smooth over what makes these these women difficult or unlikable um, to kind of like, I'm just going to defang them in certain important ways to like make them more palatable make them less interesting and like easier to kind of project stuff onto. Um, and then if you're like, Oh, well actually I take you seriously enough to like, to disagree with you. Um, or even think you're not very good. Then it's like, but wait, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. The, like the, the expression of solidarity that you show is just this kind of vague liking, but not, like actual intellectual engagement. Um, it's very frustrating because I, I mean, people don't take a lot of these kind of smaller women writers seriously, but like this kind of, I don't know even quite what to call it. Consciousness raising on their behalf doesn't mm-hmm. really help them. Um, 
I mean, uh, it's sort of like how authors are always having, I mean, similar to how Stoner has these, uh, these articles, like here's the best book you've never heard of. This is often done with kind of little known women writers. And it's true that people haven't heard of them, but it's also true that this means that you get to write a kind of gushy introduction over and over for them. Like no one's ever coming to them. They're not ever being treated as something that's self-evidently important or good or like worth starting at that level. Um, it's always like, oh, let me help you up. Right, it's a charity work. project. Yeah. Um, Uh, yeah, I mean, what you, what you said about sort of like treating women like they're like flattening them out. Um, and yeah, I agree that part of like taking somebody seriously is to disagree with and argue with them. Um, and that was one of the things I hated about heroines um, yes. was everybody was so strong and so brave and just doing their best. None of, you know, she turned all the women into sort of victims. Um, and um and everyone and was they, just sort of there to prove a point. Yeah, and if the if the women she was writing about didn't seem to need her help, she sort of turned them into villains. So, like, Mary McCarthy is in the book, but it's like, oh, Mary was a cool girl. She didn't, you know, she didn't associate herself with women mm -hmm. or, like, help them out uh, because she wanted to be liked by men. Right. And yeah. it's kind of like... Uh, and there are a couple of other ones that she does this to, too. In the, yeah, Gertrude the Stein. Yeah. yeah, she calls Gertrude Stein a patriarch because because Gertrude Stein did not behave enough in a sort of her idea of what femininity was. Um, she called her a patriarch, which I just found so offensive. Yeah, and it's like, you know, so either you need help or you're the bad guy. But you can't just be, like, interesting and, like, successful at your project, whatever it is, and, like, worthy of discussing on those terms. Um, it's very, it's very frustrating. That book, yeah, that book made me, if I had been able to read it all the way through, I probably would have, like, died of anger. But <laughs> yeah, I almost I was, did. Yeah, um, but I'll have to look up. I have not read this negative review, so I think I'll enjoy it. Um, by Emily Keeler. Uh, yeah. Um, so, what do you think your sort of um, your the most negative review that you've written was? Oh. Um, well, actually, it was probably a review. Um, it wasn't a big book. But um, a professor at UVA named Mark Edmondson had this book called uh, Self and Soul, um, which was sort of, a, you could call it almost a nonfiction stoner. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like, you know, um, my students don't care about anything, but getting credentials so that they can move into the suburbs and have 2.5 children. Um, and, uh, sort of like, you know, but he, he sort of picks like Homer and, um, some other figures. And then the big bad guy in the book is actually Shakespeare. 
Shakespeare's like the the villain that all right undermines undermines people, which is I mean I'm always kind of interested in reading people who really hate Shakespeare because that's not common. Um, right. But uh, the main thing is that like uh, Edmondson, there are a lot of, of passages in there. He says something like. Um, Women can't really be philosophers because they they just want to write about gender, and so the only the only woman philosopher is Hannah Arendt because she's the only one who was able to write about universal issues, um, mm-hmm. and lots of bizarre uses of the text that he quotes. Uh, he's sort of like, all Greeks were in favor of dying young and achieving glory. Um, and he has this extremely weird, almost Nietzschean take on the New Testament. Um, but I just hated this book because it's one of these kind of in defense of the humanities books, which is is actually a subject that I care about. But it misused the text that it was talking about so dramatically. Um, and also had this clear running, like he quoted Schopenhauer on women at one point, and then there was the thing about philosophers. Uh, he makes a point in his thing about disliking Shakespeare, that Shakespeare was really good at writing women. So there's like this whole plot line going <laughs> 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 through the book. Uh, and that was pretty, so I, I wrote a fairly harsh review of it where I was like, I don't think that you understand Homer or Shakespeare. Mm. Um, (laughs) and that if you wanted to have a kind of, if somebody was looking for a, a piece of writing that would kind of show the, the ability to go to, uh, you know, a classic text and draw something from it. Uh, I would recommend Simone Weil and her her essay on the Iliad, which mm-hmm. is more complicated. Gets at the fact that the poem is complicated and not just a a kind of how to die young and achieve deathless glory, um, and treats it like a literary object and so on. And uh, I think that was probably the harshest thing I ever wrote because. He is, I mean, I was sort of telling him that he was unqualified to do his job since he's a, a professor of English. Um, did you hear from him out of curiosity? Uh, no, I did not. But um, I did find out that he read it. Uh, I think he called it overconfident. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I also, I wrote a fairly negative review of um, Spencer, but back when it came out, but I think that the internet ate it. So um, I think it's gone now, but. Yeah, I mean, for, for such a long time, there was this weird impulse within the literary community of we should only write positive reviews, right? I mean, the, that was this whole, the whole believer thing. And then that was, you know, like Lev Grossman at Time Magazine announced he was only going to be writing positive reviews um, from here on out, which is kind of a shame because he did a couple really good, nasty, bitchy, mm-hmm. take down reviews. Um um, but, um, but yeah, I think, I do think that we're finally coming out of that as a literary culture. We realized that was stupid. Um, 
But um, it did seem like it was going to just ruin us for a while because I do think that there's, in the way that sort of, you know, um, introducing wolves back into (laughs) an ecosystem actually Uh helps everybody out, I do think that there's something valuable that the Nasty Book Review provides. Yeah, no, and uh, it also makes people, I mean, I think... My assumption is that if people are afraid of a nasty book review, they'll write a better book that might be unfounded. But that <laughs> um, <laughs> if you know that someone's actually going to hold your feet to the fire after the end of this process, like you'll be more, you'll just write a better book. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's they're They're important. Um, and I think, like anything, I, I do think that um, if, you, if people only write negative reviews and never positive ones, that's also bad. But that's right. not really a problem a lot of people have. Just um, Dale Peck. That was just the Dale Peck yeah. thing. But yeah. <laughs> uh, like, you, you should be able to give a, a robust account of things that you love um, as well as things that you hate. But for most, and they go together. Um, but for most people, the that hating too much and not loving enough is not the problem. So forever dog. This has been a forever dog production. Executive produced by dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original dog. podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.